wanted to share this morning, I feel to, last week I titled my message, Students of the Kingdom, or Being a Student of the, of the Kingdom of God. And more than ever, I really do feel like we have to humble ourselves and turn with all of our hearts to the Lord. We have to put away the pointing of the finger. We have to put away the, the accusations about other people and, and say, God, help me to see myself rightly. Help me to see the world around me rightly. Help me to see things the way you see them. And, you know, my prayer is, God, I want to be a restorer of the breach, you know, a repair. Isaiah 58 says a repair of the paths to dwell in. But if we don't come with a humility of heart and we think that we've already got it, that we fully understand, then we've missed it before we started. And uh, turn with me to Matthew 11. Throwing up a new scripture here. I didn't give this to you earlier. <laughs> but Matthew 11, beginning at verse um, Let's start at 27. Jesus talking says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and to the one and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then Jesus gives this command, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's awesome. <laughs> Come to me, all you who are working hard and are weighed down, and I will give you rest. And then he gives this command. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is... Students of the kingdom, students of Jesus, we need to learn from him. Take my yoke. What is a yoke? You know, we, this is an agrarian society. We're in, you know, I don't even know what we are, technological age. You know, we went from the industrial age to the tech age to whatever. But you read terms like take my yoke and you don't know what they're talking about, <clears throat> most of us. But a yoke was put on two oxen. <laughs> Uh, so that they could sort of plow together. And, um, and it wasn't always easy because the, the oxen had to learn how to move in, uh, in a synchronicity or, uh, you know, they had to move as, as one. If one was going one way and the other, it was hard. Jesus is saying, take my yoke, be yoked to me. Put this on me. So Jesus has this yoke on him, and we're yoked to Jesus, which is, it's like over your neck, right? So if Jesus, so someone has to lead, you know, and if we're always kind of pulling this way, it doesn't work well. In that relationship with the yokes, we have to be submissive and let Jesus lead us. Take my yoke upon you. And learn how I do things. Learn from me. I am gentle, lowly in heart, meek, <clears throat> humble. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, we're in a season, you know, and I have to tell you that it's just, it's hard not to get caught up in things. And coming out of a season and, like, the culture is very uh, divided, right? We just came out of an election and it was very close and the culture is very divided. And there's all sorts of things that people are upset about, the Capitol riots. And uh, this whole year has been a year of, you know, we've watched things happen, uh, George Floyd and others, and then there's... Uh, peaceful protests, and then there were some that weren't peacefully protesting. We saw the Capitol riots, another group not peacefully protesting. 
it's, it's kind of all over the place. And the world wants us, well, the world is sort of divided in camps and wants, and there's a temptation for us to get divided into camps. It's, it's out there. And the church, I mean, if you watch, the church was all over the place in this last <coughs> season. And I, and I think we haven't always understood the kingdom. And so I, I really feel like God's saying, you know, the problem is you, you all need to humble yourselves and learn of me. Like we have to learn Jesus' way. We're really not. You know, Jesus was brought before Caesar. Not Caesar, I'm sorry, Pontius Pilate. <clears throat> and, uh, and he said, uh, he asked them, are you, real, are you, are you the king of the, of the Jews? And, um, you know, Jesus said, or he said, are you a king? He says, you know, I'm a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. He wasn't participating in the political maneuvering of the world. He knew his purpose. He said, if my kingdom was of this world, you know, then... You know, my people would be fighting for me. But, you know, he came for a purpose. And his purpose was to lay his life down, right? His purpose was he was the lamb of God. He was the sacrificial lamb of God. There were types and shadows in the Old Testament in the law and the sacrifices that were made. But now Jesus was going to lay his own life down to redeem you and I. <clears throat> and we have to recognize that this is where we're citizens of you know when it says we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ that means you represent a different kingdom I represent a different kingdom I want to represent the kingdom of God and you know Paul talks about he that follows after Christ you know it's like a marathon race and you know you train yourself and you don't involve yourself in the affair the other affairs like you discipline yourself to run the race and you have to, like, disengage from other things. And I think part of the, you know, it, it's, it's a balance here. But, like, we always, th th we have to be just so sold out that we're representing Christ in all we do. So it's not right or left. It's what's, what is God saying? Righteousness. Justice. Like, we have to always stand for that. And we don't compromise. So sometimes I'm left wing if they're moving in righteousness and justice. Sometimes I'm more right-wing, if that's the righteous position. But I'm neither when they're both wrong. I don't want to be that. I'm Christ follower. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? Turn with me to Matthew 5. We have to be students of Jesus. Like we have to have our loyalty set on, on him. And we have to be respectful of people who don't see things our way in the process because, you know what, we're all in process. You know, like don't, we, we don't want to be arrogant. Okay, turn with me to Matthew 5. I want to go through the Beatitudes a little bit and, and sort of the first one. Matthew 5, verse 3. I want to read from the Amplified Version. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit. Now, I like this from the Amplified, just trying to um, give commentary a bit on, on the poor in spirit. Those devoid of spiritual arrogance. Those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. That's the Amplified. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to be devoid of spiritual arrogance. You know, it's easy to read that and start thinking in your mind of all those you know. And then you have to immediately begin to repent and ask forgiveness. I was guilty of that as I was reading through this. But, but we have to stop and say, wait, that's spiritual. That's the pointing of the finger. Like I can look around and, and here's the thing. Like even on social media, I'm not really on social media, but I get reports. 
and the st- <laughs> and uh, the pointing of the finger and it's like so rampant and you can't you got to say god I-, I don't want to engage in that the pointing of the finger is judgment and we're not the righteous judge and we can't be you know and then the answering back you know like when you get accused, feeling like you've got to defend yourself, God's, a lot of times, God's, most of the time, he's like, don't even answer. And the temptation is, no, i got to show them I'm right. And it's, ah. God wants us to, to zip it. Don't engage. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance who think they know and the others just don't understand, but I'm going to set them right. Don't worry, God. I'm for you. I'm going to tell them. God, help us. God, help me. I've been there. Sometimes I'm still there. But I'm, I'm really saying, God, I, I want to walk in you. There's something about humility that will, that will bring us into divine alignment in this season. He gives grace to the humble, but he actually resists the proud. You don't want to be, you don't want God resisting you. (laughs) Just not a good place. Let's keep going. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God of those who mourn over their sins and repent. Sometimes when we read it, like I just, I like reading this in the Amplified because I don't always, when they, blessed are those who mourn, I think about those, they're at a funeral. (laughs) But that's not really what it's saying. It's who mourn over their sins and, their, and they repent. You know, God, where I've fallen short. And, you know, he's working with us. And he's, he's bringing us from glory to glory. Your spirit man has been sealed unto the day of redemption. Fully saved, doesn't sin, but he, we have a mind that needs to be renewed. We have a flesh that we're in resist, you know, that we're not giving in to the temptations of the flesh. We're making no provision to act out on our fleshly desires. You know, and the the enemy comes and tries to throw fiery darts at us, and so we have to resist that. Um, So we mourn when we miss it, and we turn to God. But they will be comforted when their burden of sin is lifted. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect are the gentle... The kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who actually seek right standing with God, they will be completely satisfied. This is such a key. We have to have a hunger for righteousness. A lack of hunger, like if someone doesn't eat, And it's not because they're fasting and seeking God on on purpose. They're just like, I have no appetite anymore. I'm just, I'm not hungry. I'm not eating. What do you say? There's something wrong. Hunger is a natural part of life. We need to be hungry. If you're not hungry for God, then there's something wrong. And and so we have to ask him, God, give me hunger. I want to hunger and thirst. That's one of my prayers often is God. Make me hungry for more of you. I know there's more depths of you. I know I can learn from you. And God, teach me. I don't want to think I've arrived. I don't want to be spiritually arrogant. God, help me to learn of you. I know that you're meek and lowly. You know, I want to take on your yoke. I want to be yoked to Jesus and let him lead me. So let's pray for hunger and thirst. Blessed are, blessed, content, sheltered by God are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is so important for us to be the people of mercy. Like we, that's our posture always, like God have mercy. God have mercy. That's just the opposite of the pointing of the finger, the, the agreeing with the accuser. It's like God forgive them. They don't know what to, you know, God forgive them. I don't know why they did that. Bless them. God, I, God, I forgive them. I hold this not against them. I'm asking you, don't hold it against them. When someone sins against you, extend mercy. Blessed 
anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature, are the pure in heart. Those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character, they will see God. It's important that we stand for right. We have to stand for righteousness. Blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven both now and forever. You know, there are times when you'll be persecuted for doing the right thing. Because the world doesn't want you to do that. Blessed, morally courageous, spiritually alive with life and joy and God's goodness are those, are you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with Christ, with me, it says, Jesus talking. Be glad and exceedingly joyful for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are we willing to take on, you know, the reproach of Christ? It, it's so important that we represent him well, you know, and that we, we, we are proclaimers of the gospel. You know, it's foolishness to the world, but he, Jesus actually said it's the proclamation of the gospel that will set men free. The strategy of the enemy is to darken or blind the eyes of men so that they don't see and understand the gospel. It says it's hidden. The gospel is hidden from those who are perishing because the enemy has actually darkened their understanding. But then it goes on to say it's the proclamation of the gospel that will cut through the darkness and set men free. Now, here's the thing. Well, when you go out and you're sharing Jesus, there's a reproach. A lot of people don't want to hear it. They make fun of you. They shun you. It's like, oh, here's the Jesus guy again. I, you know. And uh, so, but will you bear the reproach? Will you, re will you bear that stigma of being, quote, the Jesus guy or the Jesus gal, you know, to see the kingdom advanced? Because it's actually the proclamation of the gospel that lifts the blindness off of people. The word of God is sharp and powerful. Is it sharper than a two-edged sword? It cuts to the piercing asunder of soul and spirit. This is the good news. But often, we're afraid to share or we're intimidated or um, you know that it's just going to bring you know, reproach, and we don't want to bear the reproach. I mean, this is just honest, guys. Like, you know, it's just, and so you have to say, are you willing to take your share? Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, take your share, you know, um, of the reproach that comes from being associated with Christ. Are we willing to bear the stigma of being Christ followers? And I, I actually think as we move forward in the times that we're in, that it, 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 the reproach it may get more and more because, you know, if you're just standing for what God says in any number of issues and, and they're getting worse and worse, they, it seems insane sometimes, but it's, that's what's out there. If you stand for God, there's going to be a reproach. Are we willing to take it? So in this process of being students of the kingdom, following the Lord, we have, let, let's, Let's read through Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, and start asking ourselves, God, how do we line up? I, I want to be like my Father in heaven. I want to align my heart with his. And I think the first way is, is, we, is, is we have to start taking a posture of humility. We have to say, God, I, I'm not seeing all of the fruit of the Spirit moving in my life, in my relationships, different places, and, 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 and humbly really start to seek the Lord. You know, just if in our, if in our own community that we have divisions amongst us, then we have to start saying, God, I don't want to be just a contentious person. And, and we have to start asking, Lord, how, wh what, what is it? I want to I I be your follower and, and let the Lord minister to us. Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14 says when there's a problem in the land, whether it's no rain or there's locusts devouring the land or pestilence, verse 14, 2 Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
earth, and I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. It's just, I, I'm feeling this right now, that God wants us to start coming with humble hearts and saying, God, help me to see you rightly. Help me to honor and love my brothers and sisters. Help me to move in the ways of mercy and grace and that the kingdom might advance. God has a plan. I really do believe like there's, an, there's, a, there's a plan for a great uh, harvest of souls. You know, it's, there's, a, there's a great day of the Lord and then there's the terrible. I say it's the great and the terrible. And uh, I think it's the juxtaposition of the, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And while things might look like they're getting worse and worse, God's grace is being poured out. And when we move, not as arrogant, whatever, but just in a spirit of humility, follow, being Christ-like. You know, that old saying, what would Jesus do? Like, that's constantly, you know, that's our mantra. Like, I, what would Jesus do? I want to go low. I want to be humble. I want to move as he moved. I, you know, I want to be yoked to him. And, uh, and we're going to see that. But let's, let's begin to humble ourselves. Let's take a look at Isaiah 58. Because that, this Isaiah 58, verse 12, it says, this is, this is where I was, because this is the, my, my, the posture of my heart was, God, I want to be a repairer of the breach. Isaiah 58, 12 says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Honestly, that's where I want to be. But I think in order to understand that, we got to go, we have to look at what precedes that in Isaiah 58. Now, Isaiah 58 is a, is a chapter on fasting. But it also goes through like the right way to fast, the wrong way to fast. And the right and wrong way has nothing to do with how you physically, well, I'm going to just do water or maybe I'll do vegetables. That's not what it's talking about. <laughs> So Isaiah 58, let's just kind of walk through it a little bit. Beginning of verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Verse 2, yet they seek me daily and they delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching me. But the context here is, is the prophet is speaking, and he's, he's really being a little f f um, uh, facetious. Uh, he's, he's, you know, it's, it's the house of, they seek, they seek me daily and act like they, and they act like they delight to know my ways. As if, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. They ask me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. And then they say, why have we fasted? And you've not seen it. Why have we afflicted our soul? And you didn't notice. And then he says, in fact, in the day of your fasting, you find pleasure and you uh, take advantage of those who work for you. In a, in that, you know, you exploit them. Indeed, this is how you fast for what reason? You fast for strife and debate. You're contending, you're debating. God, I'm going to fast, and then you just show them. God, I want to fast so that you smite those people over there. <laughs> As if we're like, we're we're fasting to get God to do our will. You know, and, and, and act out on some fleshly desire we have. And to strike with the fist of wickedness. And then God said, you shouldn't fast like that. You will not fast as you do that this day. To make your voice heard on high. Like if I fast, then God will hear me. Like you just, it's not a posture of humility. 
It's a posture of arrogance. We have to come before God with such humility of heart. Not that we know everything. Not that, oh, I learned that. I got this. It's like, God, help me. I'm so dependent on you. I'm so dependent on you. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard. Actually, is the, this is the fast I have chosen. It's a day for a man to afflict his soul. Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call that a fast? Would you call that acceptable to the Lord? Is, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Every place where you're yoked to the enemy, you're unequally yoked, whatever. It's like you're, you're yoked to something that is not following Jesus. You're not yoked to Jesus, right? That's that yoke. It's on your neck, and you're being led with something else, and it's not him. And it's to break those things off. This is his, the fast. It's, it's to loose bonds of wickedness. What is a bond of wickedness? Something, a bond is something that locks, is a lock on you. It's like a chain. And so you're chained to wickedness and you want to break that off. Whether it's generational or whatever it is. Undo heavy burdens. Let the oppressed go free to break every yoke. Is, not, it, it, is it not that you share your bread with the hungry and you bring to your house the poor that are cast out? Now, Matthew 25 says, you know, Jesus... It said, when I was hungry, you gave me to eat. When I was naked, you clothed me. And then half the people say, well, whoa, you know, when did we do that? He says, when you've done it to the least of these. And then he tells the others, you know, I don't know you. And he's like, what do you mean? He says, when I was hungry, you passed right by me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And it's like, Jesus, when did we do that? He says, when you didn't do it to the least of these. <laughs> you didn't do it to me. So this is consistent throughout Scripture. There's a humility of heart and moving in a, in a grace and a mercy and considering others better than yourselves and being posturing ourselves as servants, not as people who have arrived and we're super spiritual, but just being Christ followers. When you see the naked, you cover him. You don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Then... When you do this, then your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he'll say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst. Now, look at this. The pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness. These are the things, like, this is the stuff we have to fast from. Whether it's to someone else, whether it's going off on social media, like, we really, we have to check ourselves. Like, what is coming out of our mouth in any kind of form of communication? Words you're speaking, words you're typing, emails, texting, posting. You know, are we, is it the pointing of the finger? Uh... Are we accusing? Are we, are we overly defending ourselves? Like, are we, maybe we shouldn't even be defending ourselves. Like, sometimes, you know, you just, Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter. It said he answered not a word. Sometimes we have to just, we have to let it go and not feel like we have to, God, I'm going to trust you to be my vindicator, my justifier. But often we, we, we forego that and we say, no, no, I'll take care of this. <laughs> And it doesn't work out as well. Okay, if you extend your soul to the hungry and you satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness will be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. He'll strengthen your bones. You shall be like a well-watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you 
shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If we want to be the repairer of the breach, of a store, we have to be, we have to take on a humble posture. We have to learn from Jesus. Take his yoke upon us. He's meek and lowly. Come and learn from me, he said. Fasting is a way to humble a soul because the flesh hates it. It's really important that we Start asking for the grace to fast. I mean, we do a fast once a month. I don't know how many. We never really surveyed, but we, sh you know. <coughs> it, it's something of a Christian discipline that most of the Western church kind of feels like it, they're exempt from. And I say the Western church, I mean right here. <laughs> Everybody in this room. <laughs> you know, and you may be fasting regularly. I don't want to, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm aware of, of what's going on and just like, because fasting is, it's humbling. It's like, ugh, it's just, it's, you know, it's challenging. Uh, but it's a way to, to discipline the, the flesh and we don't do it to smite with the fist of wickedness and we don't do it so God will hear our voice. We do it because we're just trying to posture ourselves before God and saying, God, I need you more than my daily bread. You know, and I don't want to be, I don't want my flesh to dominate what I do. And most of the time, the reason we can't fast is because your flesh rules. And my flesh rules. Listen, I've gone through seasons where I've been very good with fasting. I've gone through seasons where I haven't been fasting. And um, I know my heart connects better to God in those seasons when I'm in a regular rhythm of fasting because I feel the weakness of it, and I, but it's putting the flesh down. And it's a spiritual tool that he gives us that allows us to enter into that. But it, it's not to make my voice heard on eyes. If I fast, it's, God's not going to answer my prayer quicker because I'm fasting. God's going to change my heart posture faster. He's going to make me more into the image of his son because all of a sudden my flesh is not telling me how to operate, but I'm allowing my spirit man to rule. And, it, and honestly, there's a weakness. When you enter into fasting, you feel weak, like you can't do as much. Yet in the spirit realm, like there's, some, there's a, something else starts to happen, and God is moving and doing things that you could never accomplish on your own. I, honestly, I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for like a, about a 10-year season where I was in a regular rhythm of fasting prior to God launching us because it was just total preparation of the heart. And I need to go back into that. You know, I haven't been, but I need to go, and I'm talking to myself. So when I'm up here talking to you, I want to tell you I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Humility in this season, I really believe, is the key. Like, we need such grace in a season where there's such division around us, and there's, and there's a spirit of accusation loosed, which is from the enemy, and, and it's, in, it's in attacking the body of Christ, and it's outside the body of Christ. It's all over. It's like, God, help us. We just need to humble ourselves and not, not enter into that, that place of strife and debate. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter. You start reading it and all you see all these great things that people moved out in faith and they achieved and God showed up, whether it was Gideon, you know, and this 300 and, or Samson or Jephthah, all these great deliverances. It goes on. But then you see in verse 36, and I think we kind of sometimes read through this and not realizing it, but don't really take it in. It says, verse 36, and others, we saw all these great deliverances, God showed up, but others experienced the trial of mocking, 
you're a Christ follower and you're and you you're very bold in your testimony, you I bet you you will have experienced the trial of mocking. And others experience the trial of mocking, scourging amid torture, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were lured with tempting offers to renounce their faith. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. They were put to death by the sword. They went about wrapped in skins of sheep and goats, utterly destitute. Oppressed, they were cruelly treated, people of whom the world is not worthy. Are we ready to be named among them? Are we ready to just put on Christ and make no provision like our is our heart posture, Jesus, I don't, whatever's around me, I'm following you. If the whole world turns against me, you're the only one for me. You know, when offenses come, when challenges come, you know, the, the parable of the sower and the seed, again, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he tells about the sower and the seed. Some fell on, you know, stony ground. It sprang up right away. Uh, but because of persecution and challenges, they fell away. You know, we may be coming into a season. I, I, I don't know. If you look around different places in the world, persecution exists right now. If you're, in the, if you're in the Middle East, if you're in like Iraq, Iran, and you're a Christian, you got to deal with this today. You know, we, we're, we're not immune you know, thank God we're in a country with this religious liberty, but it's being challenged. You know, there's, there was a Supreme Court case just this past weekend uh, where, you know, they, they were challenging the right of churches to open in, in, in worship, <clears throat> and it was a partial victory, and they said, yeah, you can meet. The California governor overstepped, but you know what? You can't sing. You can't sing in church. <laughs> Because, of, you know, it's all because of COVID. But it, that's today. Tomorrow, it could be another reason. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's so important for us to come, understand. Like, we live in times and seasons when, you know, we, don't, we shouldn't take for granted we have the liberty to gather. We have the liberty to worship. But when that's challenged, where are we going to stand? And if, if, you know, are, you, are we just going to say, oh, the law said, you know, no more church, so I guess I'm out. <laughs> I mean, you are the church. Uh, you know, we just, and, and I love reading the beginning of Hebrews 11 because it's great deliverance, and, I, and our God will deliver us. And even the three Hebrew boys said, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, our, you know, is our God able to deliver? Absolutely. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down to your God. Your fiery image, and they were and they were thrown into the furnace, and then God delivered them. So that was awesome. But they they didn't have a posture of, you know, God, you better show up because I'm toast. <laughs> you know, that their posture was even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. Like, where's our heart? Is our heart so sold out to Jesus that if he delivers me, praise God. If he doesn't deliver me, praise God. I have nowhere else to go. You know, when Jesus talked about, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and many were offended because they thought we were thinking in natural mindset, like, I ain't drinking his blood and eating his flesh. That's weird, man. I'm out of here. Many were offended, and he said, uh, you know, and he said to his 12, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? There's nowhere else. Is that our heart's posture? Like, I have, there's nowhere else to go. I'll follow you. Okay. Uh, turn with me, Matthew 5. I touched on this last week. Matthew 5, beginning of verse 43. You have heard it was said, you're going to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. 
Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. When he says pray for them, he means pray a blessing on them. (laughs) That you may be the sons or daughters of your Father in heaven. That you might be like him. Our desire is to be like our Father in heaven. We're being transformed from glory to glory into whose image? His image. That we would be more and more like him, body, soul, spirit. That we're, that's where we want to go. So if we're going to do that, we have to love our enemies. Bless those who curse us. You no good, rotten. God bless you. God loves you, so do I. You're still a no good. Bless you. Can I get you a cup of coffee? Let me pay for that for you. That's what's calling do good to those. Like, you know, like it's countercultural, but that's who we have to be. You know, and then you let God be your vindicator. Like you don't take it on yourself. Oh, yeah, well, that's what you think. Let me tell you about you. No, we don't accuse, we don't defend, like we don't try to justify ourselves. We have, this has to be us. It's countercultural, but you have to decide, are you a Christ follower? Do you want to be like your father in heaven? This is how he is. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. We need to like tattoo this on us. Like, we need to be reminded every day, God, this is, this is who we are. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. This is one of my favorite scriptures. <clears throat> I would pray it all the time. Uh, Philippians 3, 7 to 15. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted as a loss for Christ. Yet indeed, now Paul was talking about all of his accolades. You know, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I always taught him the Gamal. I had all of these degrees and advanced things in, you know, in, in, in Judaism. And I was, I was, I was um, excelling above all my peers as, a, as someone who knew the law and I could teach and I could preach. And, you know, <coughs> I was it. And he says, these things that... But what things were gained to me, these were like all his degrees, his accreditations, his human accolades. All these things that were gained to me, these I have counted as a loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things a loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He left everything, all his position, prestige, his me, you know, he w- this is how he was earning a living, by being like a teacher of the law. He left everything, and he counted it all a loss, and he, you know, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, he lost everything to follow Christ. And he said, look, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. He just went through under the law, he, he, he had this righteousness because he was, you know, doing more than, he was more zealous than anyone else. Not having my own righteousness, which is a form, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. The imputed righteousness. Jesus puts his righteousness, it's not what I do, he put it on me. He gave me his righteousness. That I made, okay, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. And this, this has been my prayer. I pray it's your prayer. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings is entering into identification with Christ. Because when you truly 
enter into that identification with him, you will be, you will, there'll be a reproach in the world. They're just like, you're that Jesus guy? Don't, don't come near me. <laughs> you know, we, we've heard it. But it's because you bring forth the savor of Christ. Now, to those who are being called and set apart, it's, this, it's salvation. To those who are, you know, who, who, who are dying, it's, it's, a, it's a savor of death. They don't want to know about it. They want to do what they're doing. But we know from the parable of the wheat and the tares, we're growing up together, and you can't tell the difference. So we got to treat everybody like, you know, God loves them. God's heart is for them. You know, don't make any judgments about who's wheat, who's tear. Only God knows. It's, it, it could happen at any moment. <laughs> so we walk with total honor and respect of people. Okay. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. It's that death of self. Christ, you know, he was crucified. You know, it's, you know. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. It's not I, but Christ lives in me. And now the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by His faith. And I make no provision for the flesh. Being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not, this is Paul, the apostle. He's saying, not that I've already attained it. Or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Are you pressing on for what God laid hold of you for? I mean, this is a real question. Like, he laid hold of you for a reason. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. He's actually written it in his book. All the things that concerning you, every one of your days, he's written it in his book. Are you pressing on and saying, God, I want to fulfill everything that you wrote in your book? Everything you wrote about me when I was just a dream in your heart, before I was formed in my mother's womb. I want to fulfill all your dreams over me. Everything you wrote. Paul said he had to keep pressing on. He wasn't even there yet. Are we willing to press into it? And the press is in the face of resistance. You know, we can rest in God. It's his grace. But there's resistance in the world, and we have to press through that. We have to press through the temptations of life that come our way and turn away from them. We have to press through the, just the, the desire to, you know, listen, I don't have to pray today. I don't have to read my Bible today. Like, that's, I'm not under the law. Okay, God's got grace, but you've got to be a disciple, meaning you, you have to set a practice of, of daily seeking God that's just a discipline. Why? Because your flesh will say, you don't have to do it today. Don't be under the law. Okay, you're not under the law. I get it. But if you don't make a, if you're not a, under discipline of the Lord and you're saying, I'm, 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 I'm creating habits that guide my daily life, and, and that's what I'm following after. And otherwise, your, your flesh will resist you. And that's where, you know, we have to press through. We have to press through the flesh. We have to press through the, the temptations. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehend it, but one thing I do, I forget everything that's behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are we doing that? Paul was doing it. He says, listen, I continually do it. I press toward the upward call. Therefore, let as many of us as are mature have this in mind. And if, if you think otherwise, well, God will deal with you with that. He'll, you know, God will reveal even this to you. Like we all have to just say, God, I want you more than my daily bread. I, I, I want more of you. Our desire for more of God is, is, is very biblical. It's, 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 it's that gap between what we're presently walking in and what we know he's provided for us at the cross. Like we don't fully, we're not all fully walking in everything that Christ has provided. I know I'm not. I don't. Everybody I lay hands on, I don't see them healed. But I know he's provided for that, but I'm pressing in for that. I'm pressing in for my own healing. You know, I'm pressing in for, for more of God, to walk in humility, to just, just check my heart. In, second, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul also kind of talks about this idea of pressing on. It says 9, beginning of verse 24, it says, 
Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in a way that you're going to obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Meaning he's, there's, there's a moderation and not giving themselves over to things that are going to distract them. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. We have a goal in mind. We're not just, what are we doing? We're pressing on to Christ. Our goal is to be conformed to his image. Our goal is to walk in, in fellowship with him, in union with God, not making any provision for the flesh, but just being more and more Christ-like. That when people see us, they actually feel like they've seen Christ. Like, come on. That's, that's the goal. When they meet you, they want to, you know, I, I don't, I don't, it's not an arrogant thing. You, they want, you want them to have actually experienced Christ because you're so full of him. I have a long way, to, long, long way to go. But my goal is to be more conformed to his image, walking in that place so that when people come across me, that in some measure they've come across Christ. We don't do this with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. We're not just swinging wildly. Like we have to have a target. Our target is Christ. If someone is, is a boxer, when they're being trained, they don't just go in and swing wild roundhouses. They're trained to like pick your punches. You know, like, you know, jab, jab, then cross here or whatever. But but aim. Aim. Like you, you have a purpose you're being trained with purpose. You're not just swinging wildly hoping something hits. That's not us. We have a purpose. God, I, what is your purpose? He's written a book about you. It says in Psalm, all my days you've written in my book before there was yet one of them. Your purpose is, God, show me my book. Show me what was the dream of your heart. I want to fulfill everything you wrote in that book. I don't want any of it left undone. I don't want to get to heaven and say, you know, I had a lot more for you. Don't worry, I'm wiping the tears away. Why would he have to wipe the tears in heaven? He's wiping tears because I think a lot of us are going to say, oh, wow, if I would have known. And then he's going to wipe your tears away. But there's so much more. There's so much more. You know, salvation, is we're just getting in. I don't want him wiping my tears I want, to, I want to fulfill that book. I want to hear, well done. It's going to take humility because I, I still have a long way to go with humility. But it's saying, God, I want your way. Therefore, I run not as one that fight who beats the air, but I discipline my body. Here's that word, discipline again. I know we hate it. Discipline your body. Bring it into subjection. Why? Lest I, after I preached to others up here and told you all these great things that I fall short and become disqualified. Listen, temptations come to all. Please pray. You know, those in leadership are subject to all the same temptations all of you guys are. You know, and so Paul's saying, listen, I have to discipline myself lest I be disqualified. We all have to submit to God, turn from Whatever wicked ways, ways of thinking, whatever it is, there's a humility that's so required. And not think that I've arrived now, here I am, I'm up at the pulpit. No. It's like, God help me. God help me. I need you more than ever, you know? And and walk in that place. We live in a day and an age where I think normal things that maybe in other generations you know, we're just understood right and wrong. They're being challenged. As Christ followers, you know, we're going to stand for right, and you're going to get some persecution about it. Get ready to take your share. I'm not, you know, you're not going to be exempt, but just we have to posture our hearts. God, I just want my heart postured for you, and I want to walk in humility. Let me ask the worship team to come up. You know, I, I actually, come on up, worship team. I wanted, there's one other scripture I wanted to turn to. It's Song of Songs, chapter 6, 
verse 4. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. It's interesting because the Song of Solomon is a song, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a love story, but it's really about Christ and his church because we're the bride of Christ. And uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's really a narrative about spiritual growth and where the, the Shulamite is sort of growing and, you know, at first she's experiencing the goodness you know, feed me with raisins and dates and grapes. This is wonderful. And then, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, I, I heard his. I heard my beloved at the door, and uh, but I was like, listen, I'm already in bed. I washed my feet. I, uh, you know, I don't want to get up and answer the door. But then her heart was quickened, and she she finally gets up and goes to the door. And then her beloved is not there, so he takes his presence from her. Actually, I think it's chapter 5. Beginning of verse 5. I opened for my beloved that my hands were dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. Now the watchmen who went about the city found me, and they struck me, and they wounded me. Mike Bickle gives a great explanation of this, and he says, the, the bride the king was testing the bride by withdrawing his presence from her to see how she would respond. Next, he allowed the spiritual authorities to mistreat her and take her ministry away. The watchmen who were at the city wall, they found me. They struck me and wounded me. The keepers of the wall, they took away, they took my veil from me. It says, I charge you, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him that I'm lovesick for him. They respond, what is your beloved more than another beloved? Like, what do you know about him that we don't know? She says, my beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as ravens. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of water. She just extols her, her love for him. And it's in this presence, it's this place of pressing in when you are challenged, when the, the bridegroom responds to her and says, because you, you pressed in in the resistance, you pressed in in the challenge, you've overcome me. Our pressing into God in the face of challenge and resistance are being, are choosing to go low, to follow Christ, to bless and not curse, to do good to those who despitefully use us. All of that causes his heart to so expand to us. He says, turn your eyes from me. You have overcome me because of your pressing in. Can we all stand? There's a pressing in that God desires in this time and a season. It's not out of arrogance. It's not like we know more than everyone else. But it's coming in a place of humility 
not with the pointing of the finger, not with the accusation, but say, God, I want you. I desire you. And even when the resistance comes, we keep that press on. We choose to go low. We choose to do it his way and not our way. That's what overcomes his heart. That's what causes his heart to just be so moved. And that's what we want. That's what I want. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're causing us to draw near to you. God, forgive me for arrogance, spiritual pride, where I thought I knew better than than others. God, help me to walk in a humility of heart. Help me to be like Jesus, to come and to learn of you, meek and and lowly, to to put on your yoke and to completely change my way of thinking that I just align myself with you. Father, I pray not only for myself, I pray for each and every one that we just have that heart, God. We want you and nothing else. Let's worship him.